Nothing too spectacular, kind of ground along throughout the years, gradually building up its business. So when I had some money to work, put to work, I saw CGA.TO on the Toronto Stock Exchange, looked at the dividend ratio, said, wow, that's a little higher than a bank, but it makes sense. It's a trust company, smaller business geographical area, and takes on maybe a little bit higher risk. So I said, yeah, what could go wrong? Put a little bit of money to work. And... Um, Boy, that dividend yield just kept getting higher and higher. Of course, that means the price got lower. And uh, I thought, hmm, maybe something's wrong here. But then on the other hand, I said, you know, I asked around friends and family, and they said, oh, Central Guarantee, rock solid, no problems there. They've been around forever. But anyway, it's a financial institution. Government will rescue it. I was like, yeah, that, that makes good sense. So the years kind of ground on. It's probably two or three years later. And all of a sudden, these guys were in liquidation. And then I thought, okay, well, look, look, it's all going to be good. There's a deposit, a guarantee system in Canada, which is rock solid. It's bailed out a few trust companies along the way over the years. I'm, I'm going to be fine. This is where I learned my big lesson. A trust company is not a bank. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Tony Watson. Tony, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock, Andrew. That's right. <laughs> All right. So Tony joined Far East Investment Management Limited in 2016, where he is currently a portfolio manager and responsible officer. He was regularly ranked by Asia Money, Finance Asia, and The Asset as one of Asia's top 10 publishing credit analysts between 2001 and 2007. Tony joined the Hong Kong Society of Financial Analysts in 1996 and became vice president in 2017 and president in 2018. Tony was HKSFA's acting managing director from March to September 2015. He was named CFA Institute's 2015 Volunteer of the Year and awarded its 25-year continuing education milestone in 2017. So ladies and gentlemen, you know he's been continuing his education. Tony became a CFA charter holder in 2001. I became a CFA charter holder in 2000. So he became in 2000. I became in 2001. So one year after you. Uh, he graduated in 1995 with an MBA degree from Western Business School at the University of Western Ontario and a BBA from St. Francis Xavier University. Tony, take a minute, fill in any tidbits about your life. Basically a uh, credit guy going all the way back. Started my time in Asia here, so I generally uh, see the world glass half empty. And for those listeners, this is an interesting point is that a credit guy looks at things very differently. And I've always been an equity guy, uh, stocks and all that. And so it's a very, very different, um, let's say, set of glasses that we're looking at the same financial information and we take a different route at it because our clients have different needs. So that's an interesting uh, point, which we may hit on as we go through. So Tony, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and tell us how a credit analyst gets into such a story. Take it away. Okay. Well, this was before I became a credit analyst, but it really helped to shape my credit career. This was uh, an investment I got into early on, starting out my career, a little bit of money to put to work. So I was uh, looking across the uh, horizon and saw 
company I knew from growing up. It was called Central and Guarantee Trust Company. This was a uh, medium-sized uh, trust company based in the Maritimes, Canada. Um, started in 1925. It just did your very boring term deposits on the liability side and uh, mortgages, uh, some business loans and so on on the asset side. Nothing too spectacular, kind of ground along throughout the years, gradually building up its business. And um, so when I had some money to work, put to work, I saw CGA.TO on the Toronto Stock Exchange, looked at the dividend ratio, said, wow, that's a little higher than a bank, but it makes sense, it's a trust company, smaller business geographical area and takes on maybe a little bit higher risk. So I said, yeah, what could go wrong? put a little bit of money to work and um, boy, that dividend yield just kept getting higher and higher. And uh, of course that means the price got lower and lower. And uh, I thought, mm, maybe something's wrong here. But then on the other hand, I said, you know, I asked around friends and family and they said, oh, central guarantee, rock solid, no problems there. They've been around forever. And anyway, it's a financial institution. Government will rescue it. I was like, yeah, that, that makes good sense. So. So the years kind of ground on, it's probably two or three years later, and all of a sudden, these guys were in liquidation. And I was like, what the? <laughs> and then I thought, okay, well, look, look, it's all gonna be good. There's a deposit, a guarantee system in Canada, which is rock solid. It's bailed out a few trust companies along the way over the years, I'm, I'm gonna be fine. This is where I learned my big lesson. A trust company is not a bank, and a small trust company is not too big to fail. What ended up happening was Toronto Dominion Bank took over, bought Central Guarantee Trust for, I believe, the grand total of $1 after the Deposit Insurance Corporation took it over and basically put the entire country's deposit insurance fund into making the depositors good. So if you know a little bit about liability sides of balance sheets, depositors are good. That's nice. I'm not sure what happened to other debt holders. And the Deposit Insurance Corporation took all of the equity and turn around and sold it to TD for a dollar, as I said before. So what does that leave your public shareholders? So long story short, I went, uh, I don't know, from about $10 a share to zero in, it was a slow bleed, I believe it was three, four years. Um, interestingly enough, I, I tried to do a little research for this, this piece and almost no information available other than the founding date and the fact that TD took it over. Pretty much all of the other information is coming straight from my head. It seems to have disappeared with the wind, I guess, as this happened before the age of the internet. Anyway, so my, I guess my big takeaway there is only the biggest of banks are, are too big to fail. And only banks get bailed out, get, get shareholders bailed out in a liquidation scenario. That actually served me pretty well in my career going forward. I eventually became a bank credit analyst, the rating agency, and then looking at initially bank debt when I joined an investment bank and gradually moved on to other categories of debt. But it really helped to shape my, my thinking around credit really made me realize that, you know, as a credit investor, you own the downside. Yourself, Andrew, you know, as an equity investor, it's all blue skies, you own the upside. But when it all goes wrong, it's us credit investors who are really on the line and taking the hit once the equity has been wiped out. Mm. Uh, and that was a really good firsthand, real time, as I said, set me up for the rest of my career. And what do you think it was that was um, your, the mistake or what you would have done differently is for, for instance, was it, you know, I should have done more research or I should have diversified or what was it that you, or you just say, I just didn't even know what I was doing or 
how would you describe kind of the mistake that you made? Several. I would say, yeah, number one, as you said right off the top, do your research. Number two, things are go the wrong way and continue to go the wrong way. Don't look for reasons why they can turn around. Um, realize that you know you're owning all the loss on this, and you've got to make a decision to stop loss and get out at some point. Other than that, you know, ask questions from people who know. I really relied on folksy mom and pop research, just asking friends and family, as I said. But you know, really, I should have sat down with a bank analyst or or done a little reading and and just better understood what happened to trust companies in times of credit stress. Now, I should really roll back here a little bit. 88 to 92 are pretty tough economic times in Canada. We had the FTA coming into play. We had um, commodities boom winding down from the 70s. And we had, at the same time, a housing bubble collapsing. And trust companies very, very exposed to housing, particularly given they tend to extend the second and third mortgages. Uh, so they're really, really unprotected if um, housing prices start to collapse. So I really should have cast my net a little wider instead of taking uh, comfort from, um, you know, basically anecdotal assurances. Great. All right. So let me uh, summarize a few things that I would take away from this story. I started my career as a bank analyst for my first 10 years, basically, uh, in Thailand. And we were going through the boom and then the bust. What I learned from that is that banks are such a different thing compared to a traditional company because generally a bank's going to have maybe, let's say a traditional company is going to finance its assets with about 50 to 70 or 80% from equity. And that equity, of course, is paid up capital as well as retained earnings. But a bank is going to finance its assets with about maybe 10, could be 15 in rare cases, 20% equity. Now, what does that mean? That basically means that almost all the financing for that bank is coming from borrowing, borrowing in the terms of borrowing from depositors. But what it also means is that if only 10% of the value of the assets disappear, as in non-performing loans in a crash, the equity is zero. And I think the, the, the thing that you said is goose egg, as in a zero. It's very common that in a distress situation, the equity holders do get written down to zero. And that is a very big reason why banks trade at very significant discounts to traditional companies. And this is applicable right now in Asia, in particular in China, because if you look at the Chinese market, some people will look at the Chinese market and say, hey, it looks pretty cheap now, it's come down a lot. But I would, I would argue that you really need to back out the bank sector of that analysis because first of all banks are accounting for maybe 30 percent of the total chinese a shares market and they're trading at very low multiples because people are afraid of the risks if you back out the banks you'll find that china actually is is a lot more expensive than it appears as a whole so um that's just a topical thing that i take away but uh did i miss anything no no actually just one other point i'd like to very quickly make based on kind of what you just said is a lot of my better investments, and we won't go into them right now, but since then have been emerging market banks. And I think the way to look at them is as credit hedge funds. As the investor, you're taking the equity piece. Obviously, the depositors are taking the debt piece. And you're employing the bank's credit managers to go out there and find good credit bets for you. As an equity holder, if they do their job, the alpha will accrue to you. That's an interesting point because sometimes we can look at uh, banks as a, 
a play on the economy of a particular country. Say, I don't, wanna, I don't have the time to go into the detail of all of these different uh, companies, but I know this is a quality bank and the credit officers are going into the detail and they're giving me exposure, a wide array of companies in the country. So it's, a, it's an excellent point. Andrew, if I could just amplify on that just one tiny bit in that you are paying the credit officers of that bank to make the right bets on the right sectors of that economy. While it is true for the bigger banks that have to be involved in everything for policy reasons or size reasons, actually if you go down a tier where the banks have some specialization or some flexibility to focus on certain sectors, I think that's where the opportunities for real credit alpha are found in emerging market uh, bank investments. So what you're saying is that the thousand credit officers in that bank are likely to do a better job at allocating that capital towards the most attractive opportunities than maybe an equity investor that's trying to find a thousand different companies to invest in. That's what you're Pre saying? Precisely. Got it. Okay. Precisely. Fantastic. All right. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn in your long career, <laughs> what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Avoid cognitive dissonance. Uh, if the markets are telling you something, listen. Don't find good reasons to continue on in your path. Fantastic. That's great advice. I'm going to just sum up with a couple of things real quickly that I've been doing a lot of work on stories that we've got in these podcasts. And I've basically teased out six common mistakes that are made. First is a failure to do research. Second is a failure to properly assess the risk. Third is to be driven by emotion or flawed thinking, a little bit about that cognitive bias. Fourth is misplaced trust. I note down that this company had two interesting words in its name, guarantee and trust. Uh, number five is failed to monitor their investment. And number six, in a category all by itself, is invested in a startup company, which this was not that case. So... All right there, listeners, you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. And as we wrap up, Tony, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Do your research. Listen to what the market's telling you. Amen. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.